1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's begin in verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. This is our main verses here, 4 through 8. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I want to stop there. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the supernatural ministry of motherhood. Lord, I just pray that you would encourage the mothers here, the grandmothers here, and encourage those of us that are here that still have moms that are with us. And even encourage us, Lord, those of us that, have, that don't have moms that are with us, that you are continue, continuing their ministry in our lives by their memory. We pray that you would be an encouragement to us today. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us all the things you want us to learn from these verses and others as we gaze into to your beautiful word. Thank you for the privilege of being able to build our lives upon your word, Lord. We want to be made into disciples and grow in that relationship with you. And that's, that's what you put the church together for, is to make disciples of all the nations. So we pray that you'd use this passage to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a panic button somewhere here. Here we go. More for your sake than for mine, this clock, please hold. I'll be right with you. Available operators are standing by. What should I put it at? That's the thing. Which, how much time should I set? I'm not going to let that be a democracy. Um, no, we're good. We're good. No, no, no comments from the peanut gallery. When I was thinking about and praying about potentially doing a Mother's Day message, because I normally am not led to do Mother's Day or Father's Day, and Father's, this is kind of yours deal too, because it's applicable to you, so this is what you're going to get as well, probably, unless the Lord directs otherwise. But as I was praying about this, I was trying to think of one subject or one word that would best describe the ministry of motherhood. And after thinking about it and contemplating and praying and so forth, I, I believe I landed on the word love, which to you, you're probably, yeah, we, we've known that. Glad you came around finally. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of words that could describe mothers, and they're all noble words. But this love just seems to encapsulate it completely because mothers are absolutely famous for love. What could possibly motivate them to uh, do what they do, or to go through what they go through. I mean, us men, uh, we can't even dream. We can't even think about what, what women go through. We know a little bit if we're married, you know, we get to see close up as, you know, as close as possible, but we don't know what they go through, especially with childbirth. Can I get an amen from any women here? Yeah. Amen. Okay. So we don't know what they go through, and but we know it's, it's, it's a lot more than we can think about. And 
Our mothers have such a, a prolific and powerful ministry to each one of our lives, and especially if they're healthy moms. Um, you know, some of us may have had unhealthy moms, and that brings up a whole nother thing that the Lord needs to work through in our lives and, and so forth, and he's faithful to do that. But a lot of us have had healthy moms, and I think of my own mom. You know, my mom, um, my mom died when I was 17. Her name was Maxine, and um, I feel so sorry for her, especially as I've grown to be an adult and so forth. Um, she just really put up with a lot. I mean, think about an a unsaved Pat. I mean, that's just a train wreck every day, you know, in the, in the house, you know. And I was so stubborn and strong-willed, even more than now, uh, if you can imagine that. Very strong will. I mean, extremely strong will. I was the worst of all my siblings. I'm the youngest of seven. Uh, so I'm the baby, the spoiled brat. We didn't have a lot, but what we had, I had a lot of because I was the brat. And we would go to battle. I remember my mom and I would just battle because my dad died when I was four. And so he died in a car accident. And so she was a single mom. She was a double widow. And so we had, I had older siblings that were out of the house for the most part. Sometimes they came back when they were older inappropriately. Uh, and But my two real sisters and, and me were there, and she was a single mom, and she struggled financially, and she just did not have a lot of strength left by the time I came around. And so we would have these wars. I remember the Brussels sprout war. You just know what that's about. Uh, you know, I'm at the table. You're going to finish those Brussels sprouts. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're going to sit here until you finish those Brussels sprouts. Well, I stayed the night at the table, you know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win. I'm going to win. And so she gets up in the morning. She sees me passed out at the table and upset. Okay, fine. Throws it in the trash. I told you, I'm going to win. You're not going to win, son. Someday you're going to lose because of that. And, and so there were many times when she just was surprised about what I would be into or what I would do. I remember one time I, she, I would tear up the yard so much with just digging and doing all this stuff. She said, you know what? I'm going to give you the side yard. You can do whatever you want with the side yard. It's just dirt anything that you want. And I just kept hearing that word, anything. <laughs> it just kept going through my mind. And so I thought, you know what? I really deserve a swimming pool. And so I'm going to dig a swimming pool. And so she never looked back what we were doing, much to her uh, to regret later. But I dug like a, probably a 12-foot pool in the side yard. And, and it took us a long time. We were pretty stubborn. We want a pool. And you'd, we filled it up with water. And I don't know what the water bill was that month. But, you know, you get in the water and you take your arm out of the water and it's just caked with dirt. You know, there's no lining. It's just a dirt hole that we're swimming in, you know. And my bedroom was right there in front of the, the, the little pool there. And one time I was standing on the fence getting ready to jump in. And she opened up her cur the cur curtains of my, of my bedroom at the last second. I'm in the air, and I see her eyes get so big, like, what are you doing? And I go in the water, and she waits for me to come to the surface. <laughs> you know? She goes, how deep is that? I don't know, Mom. It's pretty deep. It takes me a while to get down to the bottom. It's great. You fill that, that hole up. And, you know, I built another one out of the way of my, my window so she couldn't see. And I got discovered later. One time I brought Christmas trees from around the whole neighborhood and packed them full so high, she opened up the curtains again and just trees. <laughs> you know, it's like, Minesta doesn't have these trees growing naturally in our, in our yard. Patrick, get these trees out of here. You're going to cause a fire. You're going to set the whole neighborhood on fire. So we drug them out of there, you know, and we fought over that. And there's all these things that I did that was just plain stupid. One time I was eating cocktail, 
frozen cocktail or whatever they're called, uh, fruit cocktail, there we go. I was eating that and I got to the bottom, I couldn't get the bottom, so I put my hand in the can, trying to get it, and it cut myself. Another time I was riding my bike, and I was, I was riding with, with shorts, and, and you know, there's no real youth here, so I'm going to say, because I, I don't like politically correct stuff, so I was wearing thongs, you know, on my feet, on my feet, and, and you know, well, I was riding as fast as I could, you know, you know, this is what you do, you know, riding, and, and my leg got stuck underneath the pedal, and I went on the side, and I just came all the way down to a stop on my leg, just totally ripped off all the skin, and she took me in the bathtub, she took out the rocks from my skin, she bathed me and all that, she didn't, um, she didn't verbally assault me too much, she knew that I felt pretty bad, one time I was carrying an empty Coke bottle, on the sidewalk, and I dropped it, then slipped on the glass, and then landed on it. So I have this big scar right here. One time I was sitting at the kitchen table, and there was a bottle of spraying wash, and I was just picturing that it was facing away from me, but it was really picturing, and I'm looking right in the, the thing there, and I'm just imagining, what if it was turned the other way? And I was just picturing that so vividly, and then I just went, You know, and she's putting my head underneath the, the water and washing out my eye. And I'm like, Mom, it's been 15 minutes. I mean, <laughs> she was like, but it says 20. You know, I want to make sure it gets everything out. And I went to the hospital later, and the doctor laughed at me. It was just, it was just, it was very embarrassing. But, I mean, you can't make this stuff up, you know. And, 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 and I just specialized in stupid. And she was so patient and loving through all of it. I mean, I had, she had no real capacity to discipline me at all. I never got spanked by her unfortunately. And so that carried over into adult life in many ways, and I got lots of spankings uh, later. But she just demonstrated that love, and, she, and I never questioned that love that she had for me. It was undeniable. And three years later, after she died, I became a Christian. I became a new creation. And so I often wonder today what she would think of... of, of um, think of my life. And, and one thing I know that she'd be shocked because I caused a lot of pain in people's lives as a kid and now helping people. And she loved me every bit through my failures, but she loved me in my victories and she always rooted for me. And so moms have a special place in my heart because I was so ministered to by my mom. She didn't even know the Lord till the day she died. She was led by the Lord, led to the Lord by a friend, a friend, a friend of my sister's that it was the day before my sister's wedding, and she had a heart attack right after he spent time with her and she received the Lord. She had a heart attack and, and she went to a coma. And I didn't know the Lord. I didn't know what had happened, but God saved her at the last minute. And so moms have this God-given ability to love when no one else will. The best representation of God's love on this earth is, is mothers. I believe that. And so they hope against hope and they pray and they, there's difficulty and there's hardship and there's struggle and there's being hurt by the kids and, and people saying mean things and in the family and they w- just want the best for their kids and they want to grow up. They want, the moms want their kids to grow up to be responsible adults. And once they're adults, they don't stop loving, they don't stop wanting every single concern of theirs uh, taken care of, and they just love and love in so many ways. And so I want to just this morning go over these verses a little bit and then go to another passage briefly, because this, these love verses are really convicting, <laughs> you know, and, and 
it, what we can do is we can forget just how convicting they are because of their beauty, their poetic beauty. But these verses are very convicting. And so he wants us to continue to grow as moms and as dads and, and grow as children that have moms. Because we're supposed to love them the way that Christ would love them. And it's hard, especially if we, don't, we have moms that don't know the Lord or we have moms that are, that are, that are um, not healthy towards us. God still wants us to love unconditionally those moms. He still wants us to love them with the love that he supplies. And he will give us all of the love that we need. So I want us to look, first of all, at verse 4. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Every mom suffers long and most moms are kind most of the time there. And that's, that's what they need. Kids need their mom to be patient. You know, I, that's where I need to grow the most as a dad, is just to be patient and to not be harsh. And I want my kids to grow up to be disciplined because I didn't have any discipline. And so sometimes I can go too far with that and be harsh and not patient. And that's what God's, how God's working in my life. But they need someone to be patient and to be kind. That's how God is towards us. He's so patient, he's so kind, he's so loving. And then also one that doesn't envy. Now, how can you envy your kids? Well, maybe your kids are getting things that you never got. And you could be, I've, I've met people that, you know, are kind of bitter towards their kids because their kids got all the, has all the, have all this opportunity and they didn't have that type of opportunity. It brought up their memories of their, their childhood where they didn't get certain things and they could be kind of envious and they could, they could, you know, re- react maybe in an unhealthy way as, as a result of it. But we're not supposed to envy. And it doesn't parade itself. You know, have you ever seen yourself or someone else maybe show off in front of your kids? You know, where you, put, you make yourself look better because you're maybe seeking their approval or whatever. We can't parade ourselves and, and make ourselves look better or highlight or showcase ourselves in front of our children. And we can't do that in front of our parents and, and try to gain their approval by parading ourselves and being prideful and showing them how great we are and all of that. We have to be, accept what people's natural response to us is. Because whatever it is, it's genuine. We can't make that happen. We can't make people have the right response to us if we don't have what we perceive uh, from them that we need. So that's important. And then we're not puffed up. We're not we have to admit our mistakes. One of the most powerful things you can do as a mom, whether you're a grandmother or a mom or a father or in any situation with parents, is, is admit your, when you make a mistake. How many times have you asked your children or your grandkids to forgive you of something? It's very powerful. And they realize and they learn that they have the power to forgive. They have power over you in a sense. I have power to forgive my parents. Because if we act generally perfect, which doesn't represent reality, it's not going to represent what life is when they get older. And then they're not going to ask for forgiveness for their kids. So we don't want to be puffed up and we don't want to be prideful even around our parents or our mom. Even if we feel like we're doing a better job in some ways in life than they are, we can't be prideful and puffed up around them. Verse 5 tells us that love does not behave rudely. That's another area where God's growing me. Because I can think because they're my kids, I can, I can tell them to do things and I can maybe do it in a harsh, like I said, harsh way or insensitive way. And we're not supposed to be rude to our kids. We're supposed to be polite. We need to say, pardon me or excuse me. I mean, the same polite things that we ask them to say with other people, we need to do the same thing. We need to be polite with our kids and our parents. We need to be polite and, 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 and uh, uh, 
respectful and, and accommodating to them. We're supposed to honor our father and mother. It does not seek its own. This is real applicable to parenthood, uh, parenting and, and, and moms and dads because a selfish mom or dad will do what's best for them to the neglect of what their children need. So many parents won't discipline their kids how the Bible says we're supposed to discipline our kids because they don't want to go through the anguish and of, of the pain of having to see their children suffer appropriately in love, but suffer as a result of their actions because they're caring more about their own feelings and their own needs and so forth and putting themselves, they don't think of it this way. Of course, you'd never think of it this way, but that's really the, the, the reality. You're putting yourself above your kids when you're protecting yourself against bad feelings that you feel when you do something that causes them pain in, in an appropriate way. So we have to be very careful about that. We don't seek our own. We don't put our own needs first before our kids. We put their needs first and, 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 and in consideration related to our needs. Is not provoked. And that's a good one. <laughs> what mom hasn't been provoked? What dad hasn't been provoked? And we get provoked very easily sometimes. But that goes back to how we should live our Christian life. We should live our Christian life in a way where we, we are not easily moved because we're in communion with the Lord, you know, we've had our time with him in the, in the morning or the afternoon or evening, whenever that time is that we have with, with the Lord and we're filled with the Spirit and we're walking in the Spirit and then we're praying without ceasing, we're communing with him throughout the day. We should have a constant inflow of his power and his strength to where when people say an inappropriate thing, when children say something disrespectful or whatever, that we, we're not provoked. If one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control, God gives us the capacity to react appropriately. When you're provoked, you're reacting inappropriately, usually. And so that's good for us to see the bullseye. All these things are higher than any of us live. But we have to be reminded of the bullseye and, and the target and the standard. And God's faithful to help us with that. Thinks no evil. Thinks no evil about our children. Not assuming the worst, no matter how much they've hurt us. We're assuming, we're not assuming that they're always doing bad things. You know, that's related to one that's coming up. But he says in verse 6, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. We don't rejoice when our kids or our moms fall short. Ha ha, I see, they, they got what they deserved. And, you know, we want our kids to learn from their mistakes. We understand that, that they have to reap what they sow, and that's appropriate, and they learn lessons. But when they suffer as a result of their sin, or when our parents suffer as a result of not making good choices, we don't rejoice in that. God doesn't rejoice in that. He doesn't enjoy disciplining his kids any more than we enjoy disciplining our kids. But the higher love necessitates that we do it. And so it's very important that we see that standard. He says, bears all things. Oh, that's that's... That's a hard one. That's not just for New York fans, you know, New York Bears. It's, you know, it's, it's for everyone. We bear everything. We stand under that, that, uh, that burden, that, that the times when we just don't understand why we're having to go through what we go through related to our children. We bear it. We, we uh, do appropriate things as a result of it instead of inappropriate things as a result of it, because our kids are going to fall short. They are going to, going to not do what they're supposed to do. They are going to say things that hurt our feelings. They are going to say things that are hurtful at times. And God calls us to still do what he's called all of us to do in every context, to not be overcome with evil, 
but overcome evil with good, to turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, give them what they don't deserve. I mean, if we're supposed to love our enemies, bless those who despitefully use you, pray for those that, you know, persecute you, then obviously with our children, we need to be reacting in the opposite way if they're, if they're doing something inappropriately. And so it takes God's grace, as all these things do. Believes all things. That's related to thinks no evil there. We need to give our kids the benefit of the doubt. Love hopes all things. Love thinks that they're probably going to do what's right instead of giving them the general sense that they're, they're probably going to be always doing things that are wrong. And we're probably going to always catch them doing what's wrong. How often do we catch our kids doing something right? You know, I don't believe that we have to do like 10 to 1 ratio like some of the worldly uh, you know, things out there. But we still need to do that. We need to affirm them and encourage them. So, the scriptures say so much more about encouragement than disciplining and, and busting people and so forth. I mean, that has to happen. There's an appropriate time for it. But God wants us to be encouraging and believing all things, hopes all things. That means a New Testament definition is a confident expectation. That's what biblical hope is. It's a confident expectation, and we expect that they will do the right thing. We hope that they will do the right thing. We never give up. That's what I love about moms. They'll, they'll keep going and holding on and holding out hope for so long, you know, way past many times what men or husbands will do. And they will hold on and just cling to the promises of God and pray and pray and pray. And, and even any, any, everyone could be given up on, on the person, but, but moms won't. And so that's a great example for us endures all things love never fails now in verse 8 those first three words love never fails that's very interesting for moms sometimes and I'm just speaking directly to you moms or grandparents and and I want to speak to you just for a moment and encourage you because here's why those three words can really be hard for you I've even seen it some a little bit this morning saying Happy Mother's Day, and I've gotten a few different reactions that lean towards the, maybe a, a reaction that you might ex- not expect from these three words in verse 8. And it's because the reason why you get this reaction that I'm about to tell you is because of the love that moms have, because the hope that they do have, because they want what's best for their child so bad and that their job is so impossible in the natural and they never give up hope, they are hypercritical of themselves. So when you see these words, love never fails, and you have me up here talking about the standard of love and all of that, to a certain, many, so a certain part, many of you, or however you say it, there's a certain portion of you, that is not good for you to hear. I mean, it's, it's, it's discouraging to you. Because you're thinking, yeah, love never fails, but I fail all the time. And this is the standard. I fail. I fail a lot. And all I can think about as a mom is how I fail. And, and so often we do that as parents and, and moms and so forth because the task is so impossible. And we have this supernatural love. And we're, of course, are going to see our failures. We're going to see our failures. And you're, we're going to see our, our failures a lot because the standard is so high and the, the task is so impossible and we can have our failures be right in front of our eyes all the time and we try to see God's encouragement through the lens of our imperfections and it's true generally speaking in our Christian walk 
But I'm talking about motherhood. You see your failures. You see how you fall short. You're aware of your failures every single day. You see them. They're right in front of your face. And it's hard for you to see how God sees the situation. And sometimes you can say to yourself, if I were a better mom, my kids would be doing better than they are right now. And you're linked to your kids forever. They could be 80 years old and you're 110. And whatever things that are going on in their life that's, you know, troubling, you're saying you're linking it back to your failures and your inadequacies that you had way back when you were raising them. And even maybe when they were an adult, you always think about your shortcomings. And God doesn't want you to be completely distracted at best and discouraged at worst by your performance as a mom because he's given you an impossible task and and he knows that and he's given you all the means necessary to do what he's called you to do and he's given you all those tools but he knows you're not going to hit that bullseye and he loves your kids way more than you could ever love them and he's working despite you and and me in ways that are very significant that will outlast anything that you sow or don't sow into their lives. So I, I want to encourage you today. You need to offer up your best, of course, as a mom. But you need to do it in faith, knowing that God is still a gracious God. I want to entitle this message, Moms, Offer Your Best Love in Faith. And if you'll allow me, I want you to be reminded of how God compensates for what we bring In our offering of love towards our kids, he compensates supernaturally. I want to reveal and remind you of his heart a little bit this morning. I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 2. We're we're not coming back to 1 Corinthians 13. So go to Luke chapter 2. And I want to start reading in verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit to the temp- into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So I want to stop there. What does this passage reveal? I mean, what are we, why are we looking at this? It reveals a lot of things, but I want to look at it because I want to focus on God's heart in this passage. 
his heart to allow parents to offer their best and to know that that is good enough and that God makes provision for it. I want you to see it in verse 24. Look with me there. It says, And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. In the law of Moses, 40 days after the birth of a son, the mom was supposed to come with her husband to the tabernacle and later the temple to offer up sacrifices. And they were supposed to bring uh, a year-old lamb, and, uh, and that lamb was to be given as a burnt offering. A burnt offering was an offering of consecration. It was to be completely consumed. And the imagery was, my life is being completely consumed by God. I give everything over. I believe that's the imagery that Paul refers to when he talks about in Romans chapter 12 to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. I'm, I'm confident he was thinking of the burnt offering. But they weren't just supposed to bring a lamb that was a year old. They're also supposed to bring a turtle dove or a pigeon as a sin offering. And the sin offering was specifically for to, the, to make the mom ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean once again because of having a baby and the blood and so forth. And, and so that was how God set things up in the law. But in the law, if you were poor, you couldn't afford a lamb. Those were, those were expensive. So God made provision for that, and you could bring two turtle doves or two pigeons, and, and so you would bring two of whichever, and one would be used as the burnt offering, and the other was used as the, for the sin offering. And I want to see, have you see, moms, God's heart here, because, you know, normally we look at this passage potentially at Christmas time, and we focus on Jesus being poor which this does tell us that Joseph and Mary were poor because we're told in the passage they didn't offer a lamb. They offered birds there. So they couldn't afford that lamb. Jesus was not born into wealth. He was born into poverty. But I want you to see this from Mary's perspective, not from Jesus's, you know, how his circumstances were in his birth. I want you to see it as Mary would see it and as Joseph would see this. Remember, this is very significant. This is obeying the law of Moses, but this is also from their heart, an act of worship, and it'd be the equivalent of our baby dedication or something. But it was a lot more significant in their culture. It was very weighty. It was very significant there. And you know that, and so I want you to think about the parents that, you know, not just Mary and Joseph, but any parent that could not bring a lamb. Would you want to bring a lamb for your child for this? Yes. You would want to bring your best. You'd want to provide your best for this because the lamb was specifically for the, the burnt offering. That was for the consecration. That was for the, the, the worship of, of, in that way. The sin was for the, the woman's impurity, for being ceremonially unclean. So here you want to bring the very, very best. The, I'm sure Joseph and Mary wanted to bring a lamb, but to bring 20 lambs. You know, come on in. You know, bring the whole zoo. I mean, we, this is our son. We love our son. We want our son to be prosperous. We want this, this son to be set aside for the Lord's use. We want, we want the best for our son. But they couldn't offer what they wanted to offer. And God made a, a complete, beautiful provision for it. And God didn't see that as any inferior worship than bringing a lamb. It meant the same to him. You think it meant any different to him? It didn't. So God was saying, I've made provision for you to bring something that's less than what your heart can bring. Your heart wants to bring a lamb. You can't bring a lamb. But you can bring these, these turtle doves or pigeons, and I'll accept that 
as the same as if you did offer a lamb. That's a snapshot of God's heart. And so as parents, we want to provide for our kids. Maybe we can't provide the way we want. We want to give them all the stuff that maybe we know other families can provide, but we can't. We can't afford that. They can't play football. They can't do cheerleading. They can't do, you know, whatever it is they, because we just can't make it happen. And that's okay. But it's not just in those areas. It's in many areas. And we believe that we fall short in more significant areas, not just financial. We feel like we fall short in all those areas in 1 Corinthians 13. Those aren't financial. Those are character things. Those are spiritual things. And we all fall short of that. And so we have to recognize that God says, I've made accommodations for it. So how has he made accommodations for for moms and for dads? He's given his grace. His grace is the equivalent of those turtle doves. His grace is the equivalent of those pigeons. Because he's given us grace. We bring whatever we have with our failures, with our insecurities, with our... uh, you know, coming short in every way with our sin, with our impatience and all of that. And God says, I will make a provision for you. I will give you my grace and I will work my grace out in your children's lives far beyond what you can offer as a parent. And what he's saying is, I'm not limited by your limitations. You love them the way that you love them. I love them greater. You can't love your children more than I love them. And so God gives us that grace, and God wants to encourage moms today. You're not a failure. And God's grace is so abundantly greater than your failures and your weaknesses and your sin. And he will compensate supernaturally. Maybe you feel like you just completely messed up at times. And we do. We mess up. There's no denying that. But God's grace is compensating, supernaturally compensating in the situation. I was not raised in a Christian home. I didn't have any discipline whatsoever. I didn't have any good upbringing. I never got spanked. I had 20 jobs before I was 20. I was the ultimate flake of flakes. I could have been a poster child for flakiness. I could have been on the cover of Frosted Flakes. They're great, you know. (laughs) But God's grace, he saved me. And he got a hold of me. And your kids, then most of the kids here are saved. They know the Lord. They're learning the Bible. They're reciting scripture. They go through the Bible twice between the age of four and sixth grade if they're in this church. The major topics of the Bible all the way through. They know God's word. So they're way better off than I was. And look what God's grace could do in my life and other people's lives that weren't raised that way. My, my kids and other kids in there, they know a lot of scripture more than many adults that I know. I didn't know any scripture. I didn't even know Jesus wept. I couldn't even quote that verse. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know any of it, but God was faithful. And so maybe you're, you brought as an offering to the Lord something that you believe is insufficient. And he says, my grace is sufficient. You know, Mary wasn't a perfect mom. You ever thought of how, how, how good of a mom Mary was? First of all, Mary said when she was told about Jesus, she, she said that God is my Savior. She said that she's a sinner by saying that. So we know that Mary was a sinner despite many teachings that are out there. Mary was a sinner just like everybody else. She needed a savior. But there was a time when there was the Passover (laughs) and they're walking from Jerusalem back to to Nazareth and they're in this big group, this big caravan. They'd walk once a year to, to Jerusalem 
And Jesus was 12 years old, and they're just humming along through that, that walk all the way down from Jerusalem down to the Galilee. And they realize after like a day or so, hey, we lost the Messiah here. <laughs> you know, we, lost, we lost God. Uh, you know, where is Jesus? And they're searching their relatives. They're searching their acquaintances. And they can't find him. And they go all the way back to Jerusalem, and he's in the temple there. He's asking questions. He's listening. And he says, I, I need to be about my father's business. Now, of course, we're not raising the Son of God. <laughs> we're not raising the Messiah. He didn't have a sinful nature. Just a little bit different than our kids. You know, just a little. You know, just a little bit. We're not raising the Messiah. But we see that Mary and Joseph weren't perfect. God compensated. He compensated with having them have the God-man. That's a quite a bit of compensation. But he compensates with us when we make a mistake. You ever lost your kid like, like, like Mary and Joseph did? When I was four, here we go. When I was four, I got lost in a department store. And I, I think it was because of, I love Batman so much that I wanted my name to be Bruce. I was convinced that they made a mistake. My name should be Bruce. So they asked me, young boy, are you lost? I'm like, yeah, I'm lost. I don't know where, I don't know where my, my mom is. What's your name? Bruce. We have a Bruce here. Any parents in the, you know, they used, back in those days, they'd get over the intercom and they would say, there's a lost kid. Remember that? They don't do that anymore. And that lost kid named Bruce here. My mom, okay, great. Well, where's Patrick? Oh, Bruce. I'll go get him, you know. And, and so, but her heart sunk. You know, you can imagine Mary's heart sinking. I've lost Jesus. Where is he, you know? And, 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 but she wasn't perfect. She made mistakes. You know, she, she wasn't allowed in at the time where he was teaching the disciples and they said, your mothers and brothers are here. And he said, who are my mothers and brothers except those who do the will of my father? They, they weren't allowed to come in. That hurt her, you know, but they were just people. They were humans. And so God is gracious with us. He gives that accommodation. We don't have to bring turtle doves or pigeons, but he gives grace and he knows our hearts. He sees our hearts. He sees what we want for our kids, and it means a lot to him. And I do want to notice that before we close here, I want us to see something in verses 34 and 35. And, and we're told there, at least in part of the verse, in verse 35, that because what happened in verse 34 is that Simeon told them some great promises. That's, that's grace there. We see grace uh, being infused in the situation to them because they needed that revelation, these promises that, was gonna ha that were going to happen related to Jesus. But he also says in verse 35, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Why did God tell her that? To prepare her. That was grace. God gave her grace. She needed that grace at that time. And her heart was, his soul was pierced through because she would see her son be mistreated like that. We don't even, remember, we even in our scriptures, we don't see the fullness at all of what the Lord Jesus went through. She saw virtually all of that, and she was there. Many people believe that the culmination of this verse was, was occurred or fulfilled when he was pierced through his side. He was pierced, she was pierced through her soul. I don't know. It's nice sermon stuff, but you can't say it for sure. Uh, but her soul was pierced. Now, women, you that are mothers, you're not going to have your soul pierced through in this same way, obviously. It's a unique situation. But moms feel things very deeply, and their soul gets uh, buffeted greatly in difficult times. And maybe you're here today, and you, have, you, you feel like your soul has been pierced through. Maybe your son or daughter is a prodigal. 
Maybe you're, they've said some hurtful things. Maybe the situation in your family is horrible. And you've, you've been suffering. And God gives grace to you, offers grace to you, just like he gave grace to Mary to deal with that. How much grace do you think he poured out on Mary? Quite a bit. And he gives us the grace that we need in proportion to, to the situation. And so I want you to see that. A mom here in Scripture went through incredible difficulty, something that we can't understand, and God gave compensating grace for it, and it was a beautiful expression of God's faithfulness. Maybe your heart has been hurt lately by a son or a daughter. Maybe your parent has hurt you by saying hurtful things. Again, God has all of the grace needed for it. Maybe you've lost a son or daughter recently or lost your mom recently. Again, grace. God's there for everything that we have need of. And he comes in and he supernaturally compensates and helps us. He wants to encourage you today. He wants to lift your head today and shine bright into your heart his Holy Spirit's capacity to give you hope and joy in the midst of difficulty. And he loves you and he cares about you. He cares about your ministry as a grandmother, as a granddaughter, as a mom. He cares about your ministry as a son or a daughter. It's very important. These relationships he's put together and there's ministry opportunities all over the place in the context of these relationships. And he's so good at taking these relationships that have been uh, hurt by sin or damaged by misunderstandings or just, just plain uh, wickedness in the situation. And he comes and he says, I can give you all the grace you need. So I want to encourage you moms. If you've gone through so much in your heart about your failures and you see your failures and your, you see all those things at the forefront of your mind, God doesn't. He doesn't see any of us in the context of our failures. He sees us in the context of his love and his grace. And so he wants to continue to work in your life and in my life for us to see the standard of his love. Yes, it's high, but see that his grace is there to help us. And he loves us even when we fail, and he loves our kids when we fall short. He is working in our lives, in our kids' lives, far beyond what we even can see. We have no idea how he's ministering to them, what he's sparing them from. By guardian angels, by his spirit directly, he's in charge of bringing other people into their lives that can be an encouragement to them. He's in charge of bringing other adults into their life to help them and be an encouragement to them. He's working even when we don't see it. And so even when we don't know that, he's coming in and he is being the compensating X factor, so to speak, that no one can know about. And he's faithful and he's loving. And he wants to lift our heads and encourage us today. And I'm thankful that he's done that. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you for the moms here and the grandmothers here. I pray you just encourage them, Lord, in their ministry. What a supernatural ministry that you've given them, Lord. We know that it requires supernatural grace and power. So I just pray that you would encourage them in every little word they say to their kids that it means something and it and is powerful and, and quoting scripture and, to, and prayer and showing unconditional love that even though at times, Lord, it feels like it's wasted, it's not wasted. You see all of it and you use all of it even in ways that we can't possibly comprehend. I pray that you encourage your mothers here today, Lord to continue to be faithful, to continue to love with your strength and with your grace, with your power. Help us, Lord, to see that small things are not small things to you, that you take little tiny things that we do and you multiply them in people's lives by your spirit, just like 
with those Ramus House single moms. You take our little effort of making these baskets and you multiply it in their heart to use it for your glory. So help us to be about the little things, the little things that make a huge difference and the big things as you lead us by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for meeting us right where we're at. Thank you for meeting us with every need that we have. You're so faithful, God. Thank you for seeing us in, in the context of your grace and your love and not our failures. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.